0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on another Tuesday evening, where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Genesis, a study that we have been at now for quite some time. We are in chapter 42, and as we are in chapter 42, we are reflecting into the figure and person of Joseph, and all of those stories we have heard about Joseph we are hearing again, and hopefully by the grace of God, if you are really spending time with these stories, you are getting maybe a little more out of it than you have in the past, and, and that's what we do in any good scripture study, right? Because if you read a particular narrative more than once, a second, third, and fourth time, hopefully you're going deeper and deeper and deeper and getting something new out of it, right? No matter what book you are studying, no matter what figure you are taking up, hopefully you're getting something new out of it. You know, someone recently pulled me aside the other day and and made the observation, isn't it interesting that you can read a narrative one day and that same narrative three weeks, three months, three years later, and it impacts you in a different way because of your lived experience, because of what you're going through, because of recent encounter you may have had. And I thought, yes, that's absolutely right. And, And I know some of you out there have said the same thing to me. You've said that very thing that, you know, I've read about Joseph before, but that was seven years ago, five years ago, three years ago, and I'm going through something different today. So this particular narrative about Joseph is touching me differently. And that's what I love about Sacred Scripture. How because Of us being in a different situation, God can use the same passage but in a different way, applying it in a new way. That's the beauty of sacred scripture. That's the inexhaustible gift that is sacred scripture. This is why we read, reread, and reread these stories that we have been touching upon over recent weeks, of course, with the figure of Joseph. Okay, All that being said, let us jump back into the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 42. Now, chapter 42 is made up of, what, 38 verses. I don't think we will get through all of these verses. My hope is that we will get through verse 25. Genesis 42 is about Joseph's brothers going to Egypt. And this is one of my favorite narratives in all of the book of Genesis. All of the interpersonal dynamic stuff going on to me is... uh, captivating, to say the least. All right, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. My friends, remember what we had just talked about. What was chapter 41, verse 57? Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. That final verse in chapter 41, which is so revealing that one man's interpretation of a dream, when you look at its outgrowth, saved the world. I love that. One man's simple yes transformed The produce literally and figuratively speaking right of the world and so sure yeah this touches everyone then right including joseph's brothers and how joseph must have been thinking about that seeing all of these people coming from all of these nations knowing that the whole world is in famine and if the whole world is in famine that means so are my brothers so is my father how he must have been waiting with great anticipation. Again, we read in verse 2, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10, not 11, but 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might befall him now what's going on there what's going on in verse four well clearly jacob is especially protective of benjamin right he is the youngest of his sons and as the ignatius commentary highlights because benjamin is presumed to be the last living son of his beloved wife rachel jacob probably favors him right What's more here, well, Jacob may have been afraid that the same kind of hatred that had previously resulted from his partiality to Joseph might possibly befall who but Benjamin. There might even be some evidence that, that Jacob, in the intervening years, had come to question some of the things that his own sons had told him. In any event, what we know is that he refused to entrust Benjamin to them on this trip to Egypt. Okay. We continue. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He it was who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. What's going on there? They bowed themselves. This is a fulfillment to Joseph's dream, right? If you were to go all the way back to chapter 37 remember that initial dream that he was telling his brothers about the fact that they were going to bow down to them there they were bowing down to this vizier to this prime minister if you will to the land of egypt yet they did not recognize him i was uh, doing a study on this on another occasion and i remember a student asked me uh, dr holcroft You would think that if they were bowing down, that dream might be echoing in their ear. But yeah, I said to the student, I get what you're saying. I had the same thought, but we have to remember, this is many, many years later. And when one is not present to another, which we're going to talk about here this evening, that other becomes, oh, but a distant memory. And everything about that other becomes, oh, but a distant memory. All right, verse 7, we read, joseph saw his brothers and knew them joseph saw his brothers and knew them but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them where do you come from he said they said from the land of canaan to buy food thus joseph knew his brothers but they did not know him again we're going to come back to this later And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, Man, the kind of emotion that must have been running through Joseph. You are spies. You have come to see the weakness of the land. Okay, let us stop there. What is going on here? (laughs) This is an accusation. An accusation that they are spies. That could have come from the officials in the land of Egypt. That certainly would explain why the brothers found themselves before joseph i mean after all my friends thousands of people were streaming in from all over the world for this grain what did we just say from all over the world but could we not also say for that reason this probably has something to do with god's hand moving that it was the hand of god that brought the brothers before joseph The other thing here, my friends, is that anything on Joseph's part that would have been interpreted by a lesser official as disloyal to Pharaoh, it would have been reported. But the way in which Joseph handled and handles this whole situation, there was no wiggle room for any lesser official to look at Joseph with the the eye of a skeptic and say, "He, he has other plans. This whole scene in and through the hand of God has something to do with clearly reuniting joseph's family jacob's family right but god is attentive to every detail and he uses this accusation i think to disarm maybe any lesser official (laughs) egyptian official that would have looked at joseph with the eye of a skeptic and i bring that up because i do think it is uh relevant so joseph discharged his duty under the circumstances to the fullest, openly backing up the false charges in a manner that left him, we could say, above reproach and really beyond all possible criticism, as we will read here. Okay, verse 10, they said to him, "'No, my lord, but to buy food have your servants come. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies.'" He said to them, No, it is the weakness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. And one is no more. Wow! What Joseph must have been thinking, him being the one that apparently is no more. I mean, put yourself in Joseph's shoes here. What what have you been going through when you do a Lectio Divina of this text, when you really spend time praying over, over this text and just putting yourself, immersing yourself into the narrative of what is going on here? You are left with so many thoughts, reflections. I myself did this this morning and was just being moved in so many different directions, to the least of which, how incredibly disciplined joseph was because we know later that he weeps we know that emotionally he is present to those before him yet he has that interior discipline to follow through on what he needs to do for the sake of the whole which is use this situation to reunite his family while making sure that he is (laughs) operating above and beyond reproach and criticism Verse 14, we read, But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother while you remain in prison, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else. By the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined in your prison and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we would not listen therefore is this distress come upon us so here we see their conscience being awakened we are guilty so after three days of being in prison they are being haunted by the memories of their cruelty toward joseph And in verse 22, what do we read? And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the lad? But he would not listen, so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. So here, with heavy and remorseful hearts, they begin to sense that divine justice is catching up with them. By the way, my friends, this is Reuben speaking up again. It was Reuben who first intervened. This is why he said, did I not tell you? He was the first to intervene on behalf of Joseph from the murderous plans of his brothers. Their defiled plans to take down their brother because of their jealousy, Uh, more than jealousy, envy, right? I mean, I talk about all these years. What are all these years? But 20 years, right? 20 years had not removed the terrible guilt the horrible guilt of those brothers and although they had not actually killed their brother they had little doubt that death had indeed claimed him so my friends what we have here is in their conscience in their ear the edict of god himself coming upon them maybe the edict of genesis chapter 9 verse 6 who shed man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of god made he man i think this was very much in the minds of those sinful brothers who recall their own merciless refusal to hear the pleas of their brother all right continuing on here verse 23 they did not know that joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them then he turned away from them and wept and he returned to them, and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them, and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, and to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. All right, so <laughs> what, what's going on here in verses 23 to 25? Verses 24 and 25 in particular verse 24 then he turned away from them and wept and if he returned to them and spoke to them speaks to something deeply i mean the conversation of the conscience stricken brothers recalled all too vividly the tragedy in joseph's own life for for which they were guilty right and the burning memories of it together with the thought that one of them vainly tried to save him as he as he now knows i mean <laughs> really joseph was only pretending to need an interpreter right joseph follows everything that his brothers were saying as they conversed in their native semitic dialect joseph comes to know that his brother one of his brothers tried to save him and so all of this leaves him weeping and what do we read he turned away from them and wept he turned away from them and wept and after a little while he stopped weeping and returned to the business at hand What was i saying earlier he he was emotionally involved but as he was emotionally involved he had that interior discipline to move forward with the task at hand which again was to reunite his family something else here that i found striking and i would i wish to to talk about it is the typology between joseph and jesus remember when you talk about typology you're talking about the study of how one thing is a type of another thing in this case how joseph is a type of jesus how joseph prefigured or foreshadowed jesus we look at the word typology and we say the study of types. Uh, the Greek word for type is typus, a pattern or impression. We get the word typewriter from this root, right? What is a typewriter? A typewriter is, you know, and I know I'm dating myself here, but <laughs> when a still letter strikes a canvas and leaves an impression on the canvas. Well, Joseph. Is the figure striking the canvas of history and leaving an impression of who but Jesus? What do I mean? Well, let us consider what we have already touched upon in regards to the life of Joseph. Joseph was beloved of his father, but rejected by his brothers. He was sold for 20 pieces of silver into slavery in Egypt, a typology of the world, by the way. Uh, he was thrown into prison for three years a typology of Jesus's death, of course. He was elevated to the second highest position in the whole country, viceroy of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh in power. His position as vizier or viceroy or prime minister saved many lives when his family relocated to Egypt during time of great famine. And maybe lastly, hear what we just read, Joseph wept. My friends, Jesus was the beloved of his father and rejected by his brothers, the Jewish people, when he came into this world. He was betrayed, sold for pieces of silver. He was beaten and brutalized beyond recognition and died on the cross for all of us. Joseph was taken, made to be unrecognizable before his brothers. Jesus, three days later, he was raised to life jesus being exalted above everything and everyone sits at the right hand of god the father saving everyone jesus weeps what you have here in the person of joseph is a figure that prefigures jesus it kind of helps us better understand that marvelous symmetry that marvelous intelligible coordination between the old and new that once we read the old in light of the new we can better understand that yeah god had a fatherly plan which in the end was to bring all people unto himself. And this is what he does. All right. I said I would go back to verse eight and I want to go back to verse eight as I just spoke to it a second time, but to draw out further. Thus Joseph knew his brothers, but they did not know him. Joseph knew his brothers, but they did not know him. My friends, do we know those around us and or do others around you not know you and if so why or why not i think something to be present here in this verse is the reality we have to be present to one another to not hate to not be angry to not defile those in your presence but to be present to those who are in your presence and by that i mean to give them your due attention. You see, my friends, we can be in other people's presence but not know who they are. Or maybe we can even be in their presence and say, yeah, I know who that person is. They were wearing that color shirt and, and those kinds of pants, but that's not really coming to know them. To come to know them is to spend time with them, to ask them questions, to really be able to call them friend is to come to know them joseph's brothers were never able to call joseph their friend because they were never present to joseph they never had any real interest into who joseph was because they were jealous they were envious so when they were in the presence of joseph all these years later 20 years later and yeah 20 years later you might not recognize someone but i dare say should they not have seen some resemblance should they not have seen some resemblance earlier i was talking about how they bowed down before joseph they not only didn't recognize joseph but they even bowed down so there was no memory and yet and yet joseph recognized them because joseph for all that he was yeah was present to his brothers he was a just man he was an upright man He was a man who feared God. What did I say about fearing God? You know, we read in Psalm 110 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But what kind of fear does this mean, brothers and sisters? It is not that fear of God which causes people to flee from every thought and memory of him. As something or someone who disturbs and upsets, that's how the brothers were treating Joseph. That's why they didn't remember Joseph. To have a fear of God is that state of mind which according to the bible is about something much more noble and lofty than what we saw in the garden of Eden. it is the sincere and reverential feeling that a person experiences before the tremendous majesty of god especially when he reflects upon his own infidelity and the danger of being found wanting at the eternal judgment which no one can escape joseph was a man who was never wont to be found left wanting you see So he was constantly pious before God. And not only pious before God, but because he was pious before God, he was pious before others. And as he was pious before others, he was present to others. Have you ever had that experience of when you are talking to someone, you are being made to feel like you are the only person in the room? I've got to believe Joseph in his days made everyone feel that they were the only person in the room that's the kind of attention he would give he was a man who feared god and he was an upright man a just man he was a man who did not give into irrational fear rather he was a man who who had a deep sense of just not reverence but also responsibility this is why he's doing what he's doing here in this chapter everything has come full circle the end goal for joseph is to reunite his family and so he's using this situation to reunite his family he is a just man he is a whole man he is a man of the heart right what does psalm chapter 7 verse 10 say my shield is with god who saves the upright in heart the just in heart brothers and sisters The heart in antiquity symbolizes what? But both spontaneity and wholeness. You see, uprightness is not a matter of mere intellect. It represents the unity of body and soul. It represents the unity of faith and action. It represents the unity of posture and practice. That, my friends, is good form, good posture. Joseph was upright There was a unity of body and mind, faith in God, and the necessary action needed to reunite his family, the posture of being upright, and the practice that it would take to bring his family together. Here, we have in these opening verses of chapter 42, as well, yeah, a lot. (laughs) And as we go through these verses... We are to be mindful of how, A, God would use even a situation like Joseph's brothers returning to him as spies as a situation to reunite his family. You've heard it said, you've heard me say it for sure, (laughs) that God writes straight with crooked lines. Joseph's brothers were crooked, but he desires to straighten out Jacob's family. This is what begins. This is the process that we are reading about. And as we do, we see a lot of emotion, maybe even a little repentance, huh? And this is what the narrative of Joseph is all about. So this is what we will continue to talk about next time, certainly. I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. Uh, We will pick up with, what, verse 26 when we return next week. So what I might encourage you to do is is continue to spend time with these verses we are reading. If you want to read read ahead, go ahead and read the rest of chapter 42. And, you know, if you want to send your thoughts, comments, and observations to me, if you want them it on air, don't hesitate to send me an email at jholljmj at com, or you can go to my website at johocraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.